Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I'm Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish, what are you drinking today? It's going to sound really weird, but I have been doing intermittent fasting for a while, off and on, in mm. various capacities. And so I am breaking our my fast as we are talking, and so I am actually drinking chicken broth, which is so weird, oh. I know. But okay. when you are finishing an extended fast, meaning one that's like longer than 16 to 18 hours or so, uh, they say, experts say, it's good. A good way to break your fast is chicken broth because of all the protein. Like it's good to yeah. to start off with pure protein. And so that's what I'm drinking. And it's remarkably so- good. It actually tastes good when you heat it up, put it in a mug, like a tea or something, and just sip it and and not pretend like it's tea. Like you know it's chicken broth, but it's it's great. So. Yeah, what what broth are you drinking? Well, HEB makes a great brand, so I'm drinking HEB. Okay, yeah, All right. of course they, you they are. make You're a particular a yeah they make a particular type of broth that's for sipping. So that's what I'm drinking. Yep. Okay. How Have about- you ever had? Mm-hmm. I cannot remember the name of it, but there's like a it's called I think it's called Fire or something. Yeah, broth. I've had that before. It's really good. Oh, it's amazing! I yep. drink it all the time. Yep, it's very good. Yep. yep. All right, what are you drinking there? Well, I am in, as you know, I'm in Fort Smith, mm-hmm. uh, Arkansas, which is where my parents live. I, I escaped to have a little work retreat. It's very quiet here. Um, but the good news is my parents keep me fully stocked with uh, Topo Chico. Nice. So I'm nice. drinking fizzy water all day, all day, every day. I am drinking also some coffee, but I'm not going to talk about it because it's terrible. <laughs> right, right. That's great. I love Topo Chico. I can mainline oh, it here. Oh, isn't it the I, best? Yeah, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's about the best sparky water there is. So I think that's probably true. Although all you Texans will argue because you guys love you some H-E-B sparky water. We do, but honestly, you see Topo Chico everywhere around here. So big fans. Yeah. Yeah. That feels to me, I don't know why. I don't know where it's from, but that kind of feels like an Austin thing to me. I kind of want to say it is. And I don't know why I think that. So maybe after this, I'll look it up and we'll confirm that it's maybe from here. I don't know. Okay. Or not. It seems like, yeah. Yeah. That's probably, that's probably true. So Tish, let's, let's talk. You ready to talk today? Yeah, let's do it. As we record this, uh, it is Holy week. Yeah. The week before Easter. Um, it's Wednesday actually, as we record this. So it's, 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 you know, right before the Monday, Thursday services and the Ash Friday uh, or the good Friday services and all the things that lead into, um, what we call the, uh, Easter vigil. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to ask you is, Hey, explain to the listeners who maybe aren't uh, liturgically minded. What is the Easter vigil? And then we're going to unpack why that's important. Yeah, no, that's a great way to start all this. So the the thing that's helpful to know um, with the Catholic Church, and I would argue probably, well, honestly, the entire church, whether we acknowledge it or not, Holy Week is the most important week of the year. So it's it's not Christmas. It's not some other random day. It's actually Holy Week. That's kind of what the entire liturgical calendar builds itself up to. And so you've got these three days beforehand that you just mentioned called the Triduum that lead up to Easter. And Easter is the culmination of everything we acknowledge in the liturgical calendar, because 
what it acknowledges is the death and resurrection of Christ. So Good Friday is when we recognize Jesus's death. The Easter service, or just Easter, the, the day of Easter is when we recognize his resurrection. The Easter vigil is, and maybe you know more than I do, you being a Catholic a year longer than me. <laughs> but Well, I don't know. That uh, doesn't make me an expert. Yeah, well, the Easter vigil is the service. You know, a vigil is basically sort of the night or the, the day before. I'm not sure what the word means, actually. Um, but it's kind of like the almost like the Eve service, except it's considered part of the day. So it is a service that takes place Saturday night. It's considered the the pinnacle of the Easter services within the Catholic tradition. So it begins with literal fire and literal fire. Yeah. Which I was like, what is happening? But I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, Ends with a celebration of uh, the resurrection by way of the Eucharist. But along the way, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between, including a bunch of people becoming Catholic, which is fun to watch. Yeah. Um, but it is we, fun to watch. the liturgy goes through almost, it feels like all of scripture. <laughs> if you're my children, you think they read the entire Bible at the Easter vigil. Um, but it's a whole heck of a lot of scripture reading to acknowledge the, the importance of Christ in the story, the, the entire story of what God's doing for all of humanity. So it's pretty yeah. great. You kind of almost have, it's a workout of a church service. Like you almost have to go prepared for a long evening dark service, but it's fantastic and worth it. Uh, what did yeah. I miss? You tell me more. No, I think that's about it. Uh, that's the service, which as Ian, my third boy born put it this week in question format. Is that the one where we go at like eight and leave at like two in the morning? <laughs> yeah. And, and my response was, no, you're conflating uh, the Easter vigil with midnight mass, but right. whatever conflate away. It sounds, that's, that sounds appropriate. Um, no, you didn't miss anything. The, the thing um, that's really important in what you said was it is the night when a bunch of folks who have gone through um, the catechism or the catechism process go into, come into the Catholic church. And what's really fascinating about that is we both became Catholic in our later lives, later yeah. in our lives. And um, neither of us came into the church through the Easter vigil, which is really, really rare. It is rare. Yeah. You almost feel like a, so, a uh, an outlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, it was because you are. Um, for me, it was COVID related. And we'll talk more about that in another episode. Yeah. For you, it was something different. So let's let's pick up where we left off mm-hmm. in your last episode. In your in the last episode about your Catholic conversion, your your joining the Catholic Church, we sort of walked through a series of reasons why you became Catholic. Um, but it wasn't so much grounded in sort of the the facts of the journey or the journey itself. And so I'd love to pick off or pick up there. You know, you sort of have these these ideas or you're sort of working through your issues with kind of where you came from. And then you begin this process of walking into the Catholic church and tell me, um, you know, pick up wherever you want to, but, but, but talk to me about the, the, the concrete facts and details of that, of that walk of that journey. Yeah. I'll, I'll link in the show notes, the first part of this 
ongoing series because interestingly, it was almost a year ago that I did the yeah. Why is Tish Catholic Part 1 episode. I had no idea it had been that long. Uh, the reason we are doing this series is because it's what you and I get asked a lot. We're not apologists here. We're just telling yeah. our stories, right? So yeah. uh, I want everyone listening to to mark those words pretty heavily. I am not here to tell you um, that your story should sound like mine. Also, highly recommend just listening to that first. Um, the other thing to know is because this is a story, it's not like I have some sort of uh, well-thought-out organized treatise here. I'm just being a person, sipping chicken broth and talking about why I'm Catholic. Uh, so consider that. I'm just a person here, just like most of our listeners. Um, and what's interesting, I just re-listened to our conversation. I, I rarely listen to our episodes because it's always weird to hear your own voice. But I went ahead, went on a walk with Jenny, re-listened to it because I couldn't remember what I said. Still 100% mm -hmm. agree with everything I said. Um, but the thing that I find interesting in listening to that episode, in hearing your own story as well, which we'll get to soon, and um, as I continue to think about it, is that there are a million reasons why I became Catholic, and they're all kind of a tangled, I don't want to say a tangled mess. It's not a mess, but they all interact with each other. So I can't just say because of this one reason, and it stands apart from all these other reasons. It's like one big knot that I could just give you, and you could pick out little parts of it at a time mm -hmm. and, and maybe kind of see where I've come from. But just listener, be be well aware this is not like an, a linear thought, right? There's all sorts of things. Um, mm. So to kind of pick up where I left off, the listeners might remember that I grew up evangelical and not necessarily rabidly anti-Catholic, but Catholics were seen as maybe not real Christians, just it depended on how well versed they were in the Bible or something like that. And so it wasn't so much that I was anti-Catholic. I just didn't think of Catholic, the Catholic Church at all. So listen to that to give kind of a, a 101 on my background if you want to know. But kind of where I want to pick up today is um, you and I have talked before, Seth, many times actually we talk about the transcendentals, right? Beauty, goodness, mm -hmm. and truth. Well, one of the things I love that um, Bishop Barron and his his ministry, Word on Fire, says pretty frequently is that for so many years, we Christians tend to think of like, lead with truth. And then then from there, they'll see the goodness of that truth. And then from there, they'll see how it's beautiful. Well, they kind of are saying, because of the postmodern world we live in, it makes a lot of sense to lead with beauty, actually. Yeah. And then yeah. you can see the goodness from that beauty. And then from there, you can see how that good, that good, beautiful thing is true. And I yeah. think that's really been how God has led me to the Catholic Church. And I emphasized beauty in our last chat. So I kind of thought I might park a bit on the idea of goodness in this one, which yeah. again, these aren't separate issues. There will be obvious signs of truth and beauty within this goodness. So that's kind of where I thought I would, I would park yet. Um, and when I say good, just to park here for one more minute, and then um, I want to hear what you have to say about what I've said so far. When I say good, I mean good in the like original Aristotelian, then what Aquinas says is 
the idea of good. And that's not good like a good TV series or a good day. I mean, like the original, the hard meaning of good is excellence in doing that which it's made to do. So like, here's my mug of chicken broth in my hand. It is a good mug because it holds this liquid without it getting mm-hmm. all over my hands, right? It's not cracked. Mm-hmm. It's not um, trying to be something it's not. You know, I'm not trying to hold, I don't know, a salad in it. I'm holding a liquid in it. And so it's a good mug. So that's the goodness I want to talk about. It does what it's made to do. Okay. I've been talking. You tell me some thoughts and then we'll go from there. Well, let me ask you some questions because I think what you just said raises questions for me. So you you were in uh, a different church structure, which was not, and you can get into this if you want, it was not, I would not call it evangelical. Um, it Maybe you would, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the same, like Southern sort of evangelical thing that I knew growing up. Um, and, and yet now you're sort of saying like, Hey, I, I wanted to pursue the good. I saw the good. So help the listener parse out the dichotomy be- between the implication here that you know, Catholic Church, which you joined, good, does that mean everything else isn't good? Right. Not at all. In fact, um, one of the things I really appreciate about the teaching of the Catholic Church is the recognition that the word Catholic, lowercase c, actually means like pertaining to the whole, like pertaining to the entirety. And so the Catholic Church, they would argue, is kind of like the whole enchilada, meaning it's 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 where you can find quote the fullness of the faith. It's whole, it's whole everything. However, they and I one hundred percent are not arguing that like if you're not Catholic, you're not a Christian or a part of the Church. Capital C, not yeah. at all. Um, I was Anglican before this. We were Anglican as a family, and we were. Anglican, I want to say five years. I don't know exactly. I'm not good at like being specific about times and dates. But generally speaking, you can hear in that first episode, I grew up non-denominational. Kyle and I met on the mission field. We lived in Turkey for quite a while. We came back. Long story short, we became Anglican. And God really met me in that Anglican church and renewed my faith, Mm -hmm. I would say, after being disillusioned and you know, I didn't go through deconstruction. I was just tired. And I yeah. I had just grown leery of a lot of the teachings that I grew up under that were taught on par with things that felt to be fundamentals as though those other things were fundamentals and maybe they weren't. And, you know, this happens with a lot of people when they live overseas, you start realizing, oh, that was a very American form of Christianity or a particular cultural form of Christianity and not necessarily uh, a fundamental mere Christianity kind of uh, yeah. kind of thing. So I was Anglican for a while. And I think the reason we were Anglican was that via media idea. It felt like I can look back now and see it was almost kind of like an on-ramp to the Catholic Church. I don't think I would have said yeah. that at the time, even though I had a hunch that I would probably become Catholic eventually. Uh, and so th- there was beauty there that God really used. And that's why I think I feel tremendous gratitude toward my Anglican experience. And I don't harbor any ill will toward that experience. A lot of my really close friends are still Anglican. 
and and God used that. So yeah, this is absolutely not at all to say the goodness of the church is an us versus them thing. Um, I, I, I mean goodness in the sense of ultimately the idea of telos, right? So telos mm. is this word that really gets, it, it's a Greek word, but it ultimately gets to this idea of like its purpose or its reason. Like what is the telos of human beings? What is the telos of, you know, a tree that I'm looking at right now at my window? What is the telos of the church? Like why does she exist? What is her purpose? And when I started reframing through God's leading what the purpose of church was, that's when I started to better understand the Catholic Church's position on why it does what it does and why some of the things mm. that seemed really weird maybe weren't as weird as I thought they were just because there was a little bit of a reframing I needed to do about telos regarding church. What is mm. its purpose. So I don't know about you. I mean, I know you grew up more versed in the Catholic Church's teaching than I was just because of your dad and because of the school you went to for a while. But I had always thought of the Catholic Church as another denomination. I, yes, I thought of it as like there were Protestants and there were Catholics. And under that Protestant side, there were like thousands of different denominations, but I still thought of the Catholic Church as a denomination. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like I envisioned a tree where, you know, Jesus was the trunk and then all these denominations were branches yeah. and one yeah. of them was Catholic. Is that how you saw it or is were you – did you see it differently? Um, I mean, I think that's probably fair. I don't know that I would have articulated it that way as much. I think I was – you know, for whatever reason, I think I was more – focus on the individual experience than I was the collective experience. And Hmm. so I, I, for me, it was like, Hey, does this person look like a professor of faith? Does this person look like they're following Jesus? So for me, it was much more individualistic inquiry. And I think that's probably because Hmm. I was raised Southern Baptist where, you know, the whole thing was individual professions of faith. Right. And so so there was really not much of an emphasis on the collective. There was much more of an emphasis on individual experience and, mm-hmm. and which, which comes from the rugged individualism of, you know, American, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it, it was more of that and less of the, the collective. I think when I finally got clued into the collective, it was the moment when it was like, oh, this is, it's over. <laughs> that makes <laughs> right? sense. Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's not, you have to, and this is one thing I, I will to, to give Anglicanism its due. One thing that Anglicanism does very, very well is talk about things like the global church. It, it talks about things like the collective movement. Um, you know, the, the, the Anglican church that's still here in Fayetteville or I guess I'm in Fort Smith. So in my hometown of Fayetteville talks really well about collective action and the body of Christ. Um, uh, Likewise, the Episcopalian church, which is obviously an Anglican church. um, They, they, they're, they may look differently. They may move differently, but they do all of this with like this sort of collective movement and intent. So I think if I had been in one of those streams, I might've been more, inclined to to use that analogy yeah okay. um 
but I just, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't there for me in that mm-hmm. same sort of way. I don't think. Right. And, and I will say it's an imperfect analogy because where it breaks down is perhaps the picture that's a, a little clearer, which is kind of weird because I'm saying it doesn't, it's not totally clear, but this is clear. Um, but if you picture the church a tree, I think when I realize that a better analogy is this idea of Jesus being the roots of the tree, the Catholic church being the trunk, and then various offshoots and denominations as the branches by virtue of our common baptism, it mm. it helped me understand a little better. And that's not at all to imply good versus bad. What I'm implying – well. I am implying that, but not in a positive versus negative way. I'm saying good in the telos kind of way. So yeah. when I started realizing that the Catholic Church is the OG church, right, the original church, that meant that our Protestants, brothers and sisters and Orthodox, and, you know, this was me at the time, this is all our heritage. Like the Catholic Church is yeah. for all of us. It's not an us versus them thing. The the heritage of the Catholic Church is the heritage of the church. It's for all of us. So when you yeah. look back to these saints, you know, Aquinas and Irenaeus and Catherine of Siena and Hildegard von Bingen, those are all our great cloud of witnesses because yeah. this is the church. And maybe this is what I'll get into in our next episode when I get into truth. Um, if if the Catholic Church is the church that Jesus established, then she is for all of us. And that most of church history has been unified as a Catholic church. That does not mean in agreement. I don't mean there haven't been like arguments. I mean, there were arguments, what, a few days into being the church, right? With with Peter and Paul and James. This is not to imply everything's been lovey-dovey. And we can get into that later if we want. But when when I say unified, I just simply mean that until... Luther, really. I mean, I don't, I'm not as familiar about the great schism in, in the 10 hundreds with the Orthodox Church, but until Luther, there hasn't been a Christian that like took the ball and played elsewhere a, a new game, you know, on a different court. We've all fought and wrestled kind of like a family within, within our living room, really. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, when I started thinking about, I'm a big history nerd. So when I started thinking about, gosh, I grew up learning about the New Testament pretty well, the early church as it's described in Acts, and then a whole lot of nothing until the 1500s with Luther. There had to have been stuff that happened in between then. Turns out a whole heck of a lot did happen. It's the history of the church for all of us. And that means for most of its 2,000-year existence, we've all been Catholic. Like, that's just the reality. And that was really actually encouraging, not discouraging. Um, yeah, it made it feel less like a, a weird cousin who likes who likes old relics <laughs> and yeah and has yeah and has weird rituals. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then there's also and I, you know I don't know if this gets into your story at all, but I think the way that you came into the Catholic Church is particularly interesting because you actually came through a body of a, a church body who at some point recognized. Hey, the telos of this it is towards the ancient, and as a body, well, at least at least I'm assuming as a body, they decided, hey, let's go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the church where you were confirmed, what that looks like, what their church is all about, and how that, because I don't think a lot of people understand. Yeah. Um, 
the, the movement of some Anglican churches to go back and say, hey, we need to we need to go make amends. Right, right. Okay, so um, better versed Catholics might correct me on this, and that's totally fine. But I believe it was in 2009, Pope Benedict established a diocese. So, well, I will just say a diocese. We're all, everyone in the world is part of a Catholic diocese, even if you don't acknowledge it, right? Um, the entire world is divided up into various dioceses where archbishops and bishops oversee geographical areas. Well, there are a few types of dioceses that are not geographic specific, and they're more um, tradition specific or more persuasion specific. In 2009, Pope Benedict established an a diocese called the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. What that is, is in a diocese formed in response to the overwhelming uh, flow of Anglicans who wanted to become Catholic, who wanted to basically enter into full communion with the Catholic Church. And what, what the Catholic Church in its goodness recognized was that the, our Anglican brothers and sisters are like 99.9% there when it comes to agreement in doctrine and theology and recognition of certain things that um it would and because we share so much of a common history really that it would make sense to almost create a special diocese for those of the anglican tradition to hold on to some of the anglican tradition it loves um but under full communion with the catholic church so mm-hmm. he established this diocese so that literal whole churches, whole parishes could become Catholic together, whole Anglican parishes, which is really cool. Um, and he established three outposts of the ordinariate. One, I believe, is in Perth, Australia. Another is in London, England, which makes sense, being Anglican. The third is <laughs> the third is in Houston, Texas. Like, what are the odds? This is two hours from where I live right now, where I'm talking to you. Um, of all the places in the world. So this this diocese headquarters covers like the Americas, which is amazing mm. um, that it's that close to us. So long story short, this is the beauty of when social media works great. I had met somebody who works for Word on Fire who was a former Anglican priest turned Catholic. I talked to him via Twitter, I think via DMs at first, and just told him, hey, here's my scenario. And he said, have you considered the ordinariate? Here's a good friend of mine who is an actual ordinariate priest. He was a former Anglican priest. He is now a Catholic priest under the ordinariate diocese. Connect with him. I connected with him via DM as well and then turned into email, turned into Zoom chats. This is still during COVID. Mm. And this became mine and Kyle's RCIA, the right mm. of Christian initiation for adults. So that's typically a six to nine month class that most people take at their local diocese weekly. And there are varying forms of quality <laughs> when it comes to RCIA. Maybe yes. that's another topic. Um, we went to ours for a few Sundays, realized this is not scratching our itch in the slightest because, because it does what it's meant to do, which is talk to people who have no idea about the church. Like, this is what the church teaches. What do you think? It starts off with things like, what is God? Who is God? Mm-hmm. Um, these questions that need to be answered, but Kyle and I already had pretty solid answers to. And so we we kind of jokingly called our experience the Disney Fast Pass version, you know, where you can get <laughs> a little bit of a, uh, a, a shortcut, I guess, to the experience where our priest met with us weekly on Zoom and we just read the catechism, like the the literal yeah. book. We ordered 
started reading through the the catechism and then just bookmarked our questions. And then we could come to him and say, okay, we're 100% in favor of all this stuff. Tell us about this weird thing. And that was fantastic because we could actually ask our questions and get answers. And it was, so we, we were confirmed in February of 2021. And it was about December of 20 when our priest said, I think you guys are ready. And it Mm. wasn't that we were ready in that we had all our answers. In fact, I still don't have all my answers, you know, to, as I'm talking to you right now, but what he said was, I think you guys have the fundamental agreement down to where talk with God about this is truly where he is leading you and then become confirmed in the church and then continue asking questions. And Mm -hmm. so Kyle and I prayed about it. I got to a point where there was this, you know, I mentioned this in the last episode where there's experiences some people have where like Protestants become Catholic, almost kicking and screaming. Like I didn't want to, but I felt like I would be disobedient not to. (laughs) And it wasn't quite like that, but there definitely was the sense of like, for sure, this is our next step of obedience. Um, So really and truly, God has used the Anglican Church to bring us to the Catholic Church. And I am very grateful Mm. for that. I mean, literally through the ordinary. Yeah. 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 And that's a wicked different uh, story. I mean, you don't you don't hear that much. In fact, there were years before I became Catholic where I said, man, if there were just an ordinary parish here, that's like 100 Mm percent where I would go because there are so many things. Yeah about the Anglican liturgy that I, I love, yeah. you know? Um, and, and, and as you said earlier, it's not that much different. Um, right. it, it's pretty much the same, but they're just ways it couches things that, I mean, for, for me in particular, my, my grandparents were, were Episcopal, Episcopalian and, um, I went to Anglican church for so long. You went to Anglican church for so long. And there's just things about it that are like, okay, this, I get this, this, this feels like native language to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so to provide those those paths in um, is really fascinating uh, right. to me. Do you have Do you know anyone else who's who's come in that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, um, I know a number of people, and there might be an ordinary parish that be, that will start here in the Austin area because there are more and more people coming that way. I even have some emails in my inbox from readers who I am so sorry I need to reply to still who are talking about that. Like, look, we're Anglican. Mm. We want to become Catholic. We are talking with the ordinary because it, this is just blowing our minds how this is an answer to prayer. So yeah. Yeah. The ordinary yeah. is really doing that, which is it's made to do, I think, which is really cool. Yeah, and honestly, right. it's just a great, it's, it's just a really cool thing that the Catholic church does that I didn't know, you know, was even an option. So, uh, yeah, it, it, to me, it just really speaks to the universality of the church, which gets back to the telos that I was talking about, that the church yeah. is doing what it's made to do imperfectly because yeah. it is full of flawed people. So I'm not implying good equals no problems. I just mean good as yeah. in doing what it's made to do. Yeah, yeah. So, we can certainly go ahead. point to any number of bad bad popes and yeah, oh, yeah. bad policy decisions and bad, terrible colonialistic things and say, yeah, that wasn't good. Um, right. but, but you're, you're pointing mostly to the structure, which is mm-hmm. a preserve and hold on to the faith that was passed down to you until the end of the age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it does what it's meant to do by way of simply it having, uh, the fullness of the faith 
where you can find the Eucharist, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Where you can find truly Jesus's body and blood, which I think is maybe a topic that I can get into when (laughs) I get into like the truth Mm -hmm. side of it, because that's the whole thing. Um, Again, like I said earlier, we're not apologists. There's a lot of decent ones online. There's some crazy ones online, but there's some decent ones. And um, I bookmark some things that have genuinely helped me with these kinds of questions. And I'll link to that in the show Mm. notes. Um, Yeah. I do my best to filter out the crazy from the good. Um, But yeah, so the church has, it fulfills its telos by way of the Eucharist, by way of um, the communion of saints, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a huge thing for me. Like, honestly, sometimes whenever someone asks, why'd you become Catholic? And I'll say, you know, like to give you the five second answer, it's saints and sacraments or sacraments and saints. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the communion of saints, the universality of it all, you know, like, like our, we've got a lot of, I mean, tons of Spanish speakers in our parish, uh, Vietnamese pastor, uh, Africans, all, you know, like it is not a white church at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning right. like globally, of course. I mean, it's mostly in the Southern hemisphere at this point, but even locally in my local parish, yeah. it is the yeah. farthest thing from a, a just white church. And I love that. Yeah. Um, and then also the Catholic social teaching, which again, could be its own standalone episode. Um, mm-hmm. But whenever I discovered like, oh my gosh, the Catholic church addresses all this stuff through Catholic social teaching by way of of encyclicals like Rerum Novarum, you know, when it addressed communism, whenever it was coming to head, it addressed women's issues, it addresses fertility, what we do with our bodies, um, how to treat the poor, all these things, uh, subsidiarity, which I know we've talked about on the show. Um, to me, this is really the telos of the church. Like, this is what we're mm-hmm. supposed to do very imperfectly in practice, but in theory, in a good way. And so, to me, that that is a huge draw. You know, it feels like yeah. we're doing what we're meant to do. And ultimately, it's a church that doesn't change according to the times. You know, to some yeah. people, that might look very outdated and old-fashioned. And, you know, you can question some of its um, some of its theology by like, well, why in our current modern era does it still believe X, Y, and Z? And that's because it's not beholden to the times. You know, yeah. And in fact, whenever you'll ask like a really good priest, like, why can't you just think this, this, and this? And he'll say, like, I don't have the authority. Like, the church actually doesn't have the authority to decide certain things that God has ordained the church to do. And so I really appreciate the timelessness of the church. I can go and, you know, we've talked about this before that it's not about us individually, but it's not even about us like culturally. Um, and that's yeah. why it feels yeah. old. That's why when you go that's to right. mass, it feels otherworldly and almost like set apart in time because it is. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. right. All right. So well, those are all good. Those yeah. are all good reasons. To yeah. Good work. Yeah. And I barely scratched the surface so we can continue this conversation. Um, I would say next up, maybe not next episode, but next up is your turn to okay. continue yeah. unpacking this because you and I continue getting asked this by our listeners and readers. That's why, right. Why we're Catholic. That's right. Yeah. Sometimes in very forceful ways. Thank you for those of you who have <laughs> done that in private emails to me directly. Thank uh-huh. you. I always appreciate that. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm just joking. If you want to pick a fight with me in an email, it's totally cool. I'm down for it. Oh, wow. Okay. I am not down for a fight, so do not pick one with me. Okay. You can, All right. you can direct Well, that I'll just stuff. send you an email back and just say something yeah. about lovely trees and flowers and send you maybe a poem or something. Right, right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Seth, yeah. 
as we like to end all our chats, um, this being Holy Week, this being um, kind of an otherworldly week, is there anything adding more truth, goodness, beauty to your life right now? So I'm going to go very non-Catholic. All right. Um, how do you feel about that? Um, Please do So it. I have a really complicated relationship with uh, faith music. Uh-huh. Um, and par- part of that's because I lead uh, worship and have led worship for the better part of 20 years, over 20 years now, 25 years. Ooh, that makes me feel old. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I've played a lot of music over the years from a lot of people and I've played things that I've regretted and I've <laughs> not played things that I've regretted that I didn't play. Sure. Um, but lately, uh, one of my favorites, Chrissy Knuckles, uh, mm. who I think is from approximately or was for a while down in Houston. So approximately your area now, maybe okay. in Nashville, but yeah, but, um, she released a new album. And there are a couple of songs on that album that are just so, so good. And the last one in particular um, is called Benediction. And I just play it over and over and over again. I can't stop playing it, in fact. Nice. Um, It's so good. Um, But then there's another song that I actually played in mass. Don't come at me, all you uh, that are fundamentally opposed to modern music in mass. um, (laughs) Called Come Magnify. And um, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, like, that's the most connected to God I've felt in music in a long time. Wow. Uh, did you write that? And I said, no, I didn't write that. I wish I read that. I wish I wrote that. But that's Christy Knuckles. And um, and so some of her songs are kind of becoming a mainstay. And I'm, I'm very, very careful about the music that I use because I do I do believe that great music and good artistry should actually enhance the beauty and the goodness of, of the mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very careful about what I play. Um, and so it was just really confirming to have somebody say, yeah, that, that sounds like the real deal. And she is, she's the real deal. So um, yeah, okay. so that's what I'm listening to. It's a great uh, listen for the Easter weekend. Um, there's some cuts on there that are really, that I think that will, will move people, even if you sort of side eye all faith music as I tend to do. Yes. That's great. I will have to yeah. give it a listen. Cool. Yeah. So Tish, what about you? What's adding <laughs> some truth, beauty, or goodness to your life? Uh, we must have been, um, thinking along the same lines because mine's music too. Mine's faith-based music too. Uh, oh boy. I know. I've actually just been re-listening to my Lent playlist. So Bitter and Sweet oh, okay. is my book and it has an accompanying playlist. And so I've just been listening to that a lot this week and I've done my best to curate it to non-sucky faith-based music (laughs) in particular regarding the season of Lent. And I will just say in particular, zeroing in on this playlist of which there are many different artists. Uh, One thing I keep going back to is just one of my classic favorites and that's Andrew Peterson. I just mm. really appreciate so his songwriting. Yeah. He's just really good writer. And so he's got yeah. some really great Holy Week songs. I believe the album is called Resurrection Letters. I could be wrong. Um, but I've got my favorites in the Lent playlist. So I'll put that in mm. the show notes. But he's just really good. I've just really he's been appreciating him lately. It's a phenomenal so. writer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's he great. really is. So, yeah, that's what I got. All right. Well, guys, it's time to wrap this up. We hope you have a very blessed Easter and Good Friday if you're listening to this when it comes out. You can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. 
where you can also find ways to support the show, which we always appreciate. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, how about you? They can find me at uh, stethhaines.substack.com. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. And I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes. We'll be back here again with you soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>